Hello, friend. Thanks so much for downloading this podcast. And with all my heart, I hope you hear something that edifies, encourages, equip, enlightens, and then engages you in the marketplace of ideas. But before you go and before you listen, I want to take a quick moment and explain to you this month's truth tool. The book is called I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith. You know, it's paramount as followers of Christ that we not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. So questions like heaven and hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But sometimes we don't fully understand what it is we believe about Christianity. So the book, I Believe, A Concise Guide to the Essentials of the Christian Faith is just that. It's concise and it's a wonderful guide to explain to you the cornerstones of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. It's yours for a gift of any amount because In the Market with Janet Partial is a listener-supported broadcast. We stay on the air because you pray and give. So if you'd like this month's Truth Rule, just call 877-JANET-58. Ask for a copy of I Believe. That's 877-JANET-58. Or you can go online to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Give a gift of any amount. We'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. While you're on that website, you might want to take a moment, scroll down just a little bit farther, and there's a description of what it means to be a partial partner. These are people who give at a level of their own choosing, and they give every month. They get the truth tool if they ask for it every single month, and they'll also get a newsletter, only people that do, that includes an audio portion that only goes to my partial partners. So if you want to be a partial partner or you're just interested in giving one time to get a copy of I Believe, 877-JANET-58 is the route to go, 877-JANET-58, or online at InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. I Believe, a great book for you to put in your backpack as you continue your Pilgrim's Progress. Now, please enjoy the podcast. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely rare safety move by a nation. 17 years the Palestinians and Israelis negotiated. Friends, welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. We have been talking a lot about the war in Israel, and well, we should. You know, if you're interested in Bible prophecy, don't ever take your eyes off of that particular nation. About the size of New Jersey, powerfully significant in the past and will be powerfully, powerfully significant in the future. So if you go through life with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, whenever you see what's going on in Israel, you have to immediately stop and say, where am I in the timeline in God's word? Because God is a promise-keeping God. So far, he's 100% spot on with every prophecy, okay? And so everything he has said about the Jewish state going forward will likewise be fulfilled. But the problem becomes sometimes when we decide what is the metric we're using to study or measure the end times. And we get very confused. Now, first, last, and always, we know where to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Second of all, we know that for whatever reason, God chose the Jewish people to bring salvation to mankind. Did you ever stop and ruminate about that? I have. He could have used the Picts. He could have used um, uh, the Normans. He could have used the Celts. He could have used a myriad of other people groups. But he chose, through his sovereign and perfect will, to bring salvation by way of the Jews. As Gentiles, we have been grafted on to that root. Our Messiah is a Jewish Messiah. I read a horrible piece not too long ago that said Jesus was an Asian. No, Jesus was not. He was a Middle Eastern man, but he was God-man, which makes it completely 
unique. So when we watch Israel and we start looking at the headlines of the day, what headlines are being written in heaven? We'll leave it to my dear friend Ray Comfort to not miss a beat. If there were ever anyone who laid his ear on the railroad track and was listening to the culture, and why? Well, he's interested in what the culture has to say, but this is a man who's on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he constantly is using open doors to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's in good company. It's exactly what Paul did, by the way. I've often talked about this. You know, we read what happened in Acts 17 when he has that great moment. Some Bible teachers think it was a flawed moment in his ministry. I'm on the team of, I thought it was a brilliant dissertation, by the way as he's talking to the intellectuals of the day. But before he mounted up to the Areopagus, he walked around Athens for a year and a half. Like Ray Comfort, he had his ear to the railroad track. He was paying attention. So when he was able to say, I see you're a very religious people, he knew the saying of the day in Athens, that there were more gods than men in Athens. And so he thought, ah. And then he takes the words from a Corinthian poet, a pagan, by the way, and turns those words on his head and introduces them vis-a-vis that poet to the unknown god. If we're going to be astute evangelists, we likewise need to be paying attention. So I think the war in the Middle East is a wonderful opportunity for us to start talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ray Comfort thinks that too. He's the founder and CEO of Living Waters, the best-selling author of more than 90 books. He turns out books faster than a bakery makes morning bread. It's just amazing to me. I love his work. I love his videos. By the way, apparently YouTube understands that I'm into Ray Comfort because I am peppered vis-a-vis my algorithm with his videos, which I'm very, very grateful, by the way. Um, He is the co-host, of course, of the fabulous program, Way of the Master, airing in every country in the world, executive producer of 180, Evolution versus God, Audacity, and a whole bunch of other films. But I have a link on my website to a new book that you can only get through Living Waters called Volatile. And I'm not sure that my friend Ray and I have ever had a conversation about Bible prophecy in Israel, but I'm particularly looking forward to being able to do that today. So, Ray, I am thrilled that you're here. And first, on a personal level, especially as I've been watching what's been going on in Israel, I thought to myself, wow, for Ray, this is more than just being an astute student of the word and someone who is looking for opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're Jewish. What have you been thinking about what's been going on in Israel? Well, firstly, I want to say I freaked out when I said I had my ear on the railway tracks. <laughs> I thought, maybe horses' hooves. I can hear the horses' hooves or something. Ear on the railway track. <laughs> Just get your head out of the way in time. Yes, that's all. I know. Lift it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. We When when uh, the horrible thing happened October 7th, I made a quick video on Bible prophecy, and it got over a million views really, really quick. So mm. there's a lot of people that are interested. A lot of Christians know that this is a this is a timeline that that you know Jerusalem's back in the hands of the Jews, and we're seeing nations to the north, you know, all rising up against Israel. You can see Bible prophecy being fulfilled, very present. But I've been I've been I'm always nervous with Bible prophecy because I'm a peacemaker. I want to keep peace. And if you want to cause problems, just give your own interpretation of Bible prophecy. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm very careful when it comes to Calvinism and Arminianism. I tiptoe through the tulip. And, uh, I, and when it comes to Christian music, I'm very careful what I say because I know it's so subjective. Bible prophecy, I've just got to run at it because this is such an incredible opportunity to reach the lost. Bible prophecy is an intellectual actual peg for sinners to hang their head on. Mm. It shows the Bible's the word of God. And I love saying to people,
people. Do you know the Bible actually names the nations that will come down upon Israel in the last days? And they named them 2,500 years ago. Mm. And uh, only God knows the future. We don't know the future. I live in Los Angeles. I could be dead in 10 minutes because the big one hits. Mm. We we just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone, you know, next year or whatever but God's given us the future in his word and what that does is puts the seal on the Bible that it's the word of the creator and if it's the word of the creator we need to take a second look at the gospel which promises everlasting life so it's an incredible way to reach the lost I think of Acts 28 23 which I'm sure you're familiar with Mm -hmm. Paul um, reasoned both out of the law of Moses and yeah, out of the prophets. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the law of Moses to bring the knowledge of sin. It was out of the prophets, which which appealed to the intellect. And that's what many people are looking for. Just they just give me something. You know, I, I know as ark. You know, Jonah and the whale and all the big fish and Balaam's donkey, all this stuff is offensive to me. Give me something I can hang my hat on. Well, Bible prophecy, you can. And when you understand that, you realize God's chosen foolish things to confound the world. And the door of salvation is very low. Uh, and that God's using those foolish things to confound the wise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're going to hear me talk about this a lot this hour, the book that you can only get through Living Waters. And I've got a link on my information page. There's a promo video there, so you can see Ray talking about this book. It's called Volatile. The nations, the Bible says, will attack Israel in the latter days. Now, I don't know about you, but that's such an intriguing title. And by the way, this is about eschatology. There's a 50-cent theological word that really means the study of end times. When we come back, Ray, talk about these three different paths that people can take with eschatology and how your starting point can sometimes lead you in a different position. More with Ray Comfort after this. Heaven, hell, angels, the Trinity, all of these are foundational issues for believing Christians. But do you understand what you believe? That's why I've chosen I Believe, a concise guide to the essentials of the Christian faith as this month's truth tool. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Ask for your copy of I Believe when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. We're visiting with Ray Comfort, who is the CEO and founder of Living Waters, a wonderfully prolific author, host of The Way of the Master. The list goes on and on and on. On our website, I've got a link to livingwaters.com, livingwaters.com. And that's important because that's the only way you're going to find the book Volatile. And this is a new book that Ray has written in response to the war taking place on Israel right now. And the subtitle says, The Nations the Bible Says Will Attack Israel in the Latter Days. Now, like I said before, God has 100% spot on on all the prophecies that have been fulfilled so far. Not the least of which in 1948, when Israel became the Jewish state. That was stunning because that was an absolute fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Now, maybe the Balfour Declaration thought it was their doing. Maybe the UN thought it was their doing. Maybe the U.S. thought it was their doing because they were the first station, the state when the UN, UN generally assembled voted to say, yes, we support the nation of Israel. But it was God's doing, and it was calling his people back to the Jewish state. 
And the fact that there's constant animosity there should come as no surprise at all, because as I've said a thousand times, this is not a political issue. It's not a military issue. It is a spiritual issue. And we must never forget that. So volatile can only be gotten through living waters. But there's a promotional video that Ray did that's absolutely superb that I commend to you as well. So I want to start with first principles, because this is where the trajectory for our rocket goes. And that is talking about the different ways in which people look at eschatology or the study of end times. So you talk about three different categories. And if I can, can you give me just a quick overview of each? So when we talk about someone being a preterist, for example, what does that mean? They think everything happened before 70 AD. The wars, rumors of wars, the earthquakes, the, oh, the famines, everything happened before 70 AD. And they're, they're very strong about that. And uh, Bible prophecy, I've used a, uh, an, an analogy, Jenga. Do you know what Jenga is? Did sure you read do. that in the book? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's where you pile up these sticks, and the last one to uh, pull a stick and, and knock it down loses, and the person before wins. Well, that's what it's been like with prophecy me for years. I got everything piled up nice and then suddenly I see one verse and everything I believed about Bible prophecy comes crashing down. And the one verse is this generation uh, will not pass away before these things come to pass. Something like that. I messed it up a little but that's the gist of it. Um, And so I I couldn't get it clear. So you've got your preterists, you've got your historicists, then you've got your futurists. Historicists say it's been unfolding Bible prophecy. There's always been wars and rumors of wars and there's been famines and et cetera, earthquakes. And the futurists push everything into the future and say all these things are going to come. Well, I think I've found a way through the landmine. (laughs) <laughs> and that was something I I read that just thrilled my heart. And it was just this Bible principle and the people that brought this out. And it wasn't just one group of people, but a certain number of places. They say, in the Bible, you have things happen and then they unfold. They happen and unfold. And when I understood that, that made the whole of Matthew 24, Luke 21, uh, etc. begin to make sense. There were wars and rumors of wars and everything did happen before 70 AD but they've continued to happen and I wrote a book oh, back in 1993 called Russia Will Attack Israel and when, when communism went, the USR went, USSR went down and lost its power as a, as a an, an, you know, big nation. And so I just chucked the book, and then they've come. The bear went to sleep. It came out of hibernation just in recent years and had an incredible hunger and tried to devour the Ukraine. And that brought a lot of preachers out, especially what October the 7th happened. A lot of preachers that I respect came out of the closet, out of the prophetic closet, and began to say what they believed. And uh, so I decided to be bold and put this book together. And I'm so pleased I did because I can't wait to give this to people who are wondering what's going on in the world. Their hearts are failing them for fear of that which will come upon the earth. I may have mentioned before that Sue and I, if we watch a rugby game with our favorite team, we won't watch it unless we win. We watch a replay because we don't (laughs) like being stressed. Because we're in our 70s and you get stress over a rugby game, you can die. And my (laughs) wife, she'll go out of the room when we're playing. It's so exciting. She'll be out of the room. I said, come back in. No, no. So we watch replays because we know who wins. And so when the other team get all excited and go, yeah, we think, yeah, we know what happens at the end. We don't get even the slightest bit stressed. And we know the end from the beginning. We know who wins out. God wins. Christians win. The righteousness wins. Not sin. Yeah, you know, goodness over evil wins. And that's how we can keep our peace because we see these things coming to pass. Amen. Wow, that's brilliant. I love that comparison. Our whole ad, and that's why the study of eschatology and its final analysis shouldn't be frightening at all. We should look forward with glorious anticipation to what's going to happen. So I'm so glad that you're talking about this and dropping it in the context of the current events that are taking place. 
Um, it's interesting because, again, if, you're, if, if the grid through which you push your eschatology is the idea that if you don't subscribe to the idea of happen and happened and unfold, as you beautifully just said, then you get stuck. So a lot of people are thinking, in fact, I was res- interesting, just like you, to see people's response from the pulpit on October 7th. Was this the beginning of the end, the end of the beginning, where we were? Is this to be ignored because this isn't anything at all referenced in Ezekiel or Daniel or Revelation? But no matter what, something's happening. So give me your overview of this, first of all. How can we be careful not to say, oh, that's it definitively, versus this is setting the stage, his return is imminent? Well, I never say anything, that's it definitively. I've learned, you know, when when when, <laughs> when I look at what's happened in San Francisco, I think, why isn't there a big earthquake there? Mm. And why doesn't God judge these places of t- terrible evil? But things don't work out like we think. God's ways are infinitely far above our ways, so I wouldn't be so stupid but is to say, I definitely believe this because God might have something different. And so I've just got to say, as far as I can see, I, I believe this is this is happening, this is unfolding. But there are people that say, you know, the coming of Christ is going to be in 70 weeks from this date here. Well, that's a silly thing to say mm-hmm. because when it doesn't happen, you discredit the kingdom of God and every yeah. Christian too. So we need to keep our mouths shut and just say, look, look at this. Except I will say the Bible does clearly name five nations that will come down upon mm-hmm. Israel. Russia, Turkey, Iran, Sudan, and Libya. And there's no argument there. And they're Islamic nations. That's what the Bible said 2,500 years ago. And we're seeing that come to pass. They've all got these, um, they back each other. They're Islamic nations. They hate Israel. They want to get it off the map. And we can see it taking place. I'm so glad you did that. I'm glad you listed the country. So when we come back, let me start with Russia, because that's what you do in the book. And you call it the problem of Rosh, R-O-S-H. And it's referenced, by the way, in Ezekiel. You begin the book also by saying, here's some key passages you need to be thinking about as we're talking about the nations that are listed in the Bible that will be attacking Israel. Absolutely riveting book. Again, to be hearing the news every day. You know that we talk about the war in Israel almost every day on this program. But to be able to take a look at what the Bible says and who the nations are going to be that will come against Israel. Remember, Israel will be, what does the Bible say? A cup of trembling against the nations. More with Ray Comfort right after this. Always a joy to spend time with Ray Comfort. I just love the fact that he loves to tell people about Jesus. And he reminds us how important it is to stay immersed in the Word of God. So now we've got this horrific assault on Israel October 7th. And did you see the anti-Semitism that just rose globally? Again, that's why you can couch it any way you want to. But if you're walking through life with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other, that's a spiritual issue. That's an animosity against God's chosen people. And the followers of Jesus Christ need to speak against it. There's a reason why after the Holocaust, we said never again, never again, particularly as a follower of Christ, we are not to be hesitant or reticent to speak out against anti-Semitism wherever we can. So Ray, again, being astute with what's going on in the world around him, wrote a book called Volatile. You can only get it through Living Waters. The subtitle is so exciting, and that's why this book is worth reading. The Nations That the Bible Says Will Attack Israel in the Latter Days. So let me go to Rosh. This is a reference that you pulled out of Ezekiel. Let me go to the newspaper, and you go to the Bible. The newspaper says this. So if we look at what happened on October 7th, if you've ever been to Gaza, and I have been, I've come under gunfire in Gaza. It is abject poverty, and it's run by a terrorist organization, not a political entity. These are people who put themselves in office, and they'll never leave. They hate the people that they've been given authority 
40 over, and they don't have the funding to be able to buy the kind of weaponry that they've got. So there is a linkage with Iran. This is a proxy war with Iran right now. Iran is also training Hezbollah. Hezbollah is in Lebanon. They're a terrorist organization. That's where the incursions are taking place now. On the northern border, that's Hezbollah, and it's this is what Israel's greatest fear was, that, that this was going to be a war fought on multiple fronts. They're already fighting along the Gaza territory. Now we're going to see more action with Hezbollah. Hezbollah is backed by Iran. Iran has an inexorable linkage to Russia. Russia is very much in league with supplying supplies to Iran. So if that's what the newspaper says, it seems to me there is no ambiguity that Russia is moving closer to an absolute outright assault against Israel. So take me to Rosh, because there are people who think, nah, the Prince of Rosh, you're not referring to, to, to Russia. What do you think? Yeah, they just got to look at it again. Read the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just lays out the, the both parties, um, those who say it's not Rosh, say, don't be silly, it's not Rosh. Rosh is, you know, not what Russia's about. But there are others, and I'm so pleased for the internet because I can get stuff and document it, and it backs up the argument that the Prince of Rosh is referring to Russia historically. And, and, and you can see it unfolding before our eyes. What Russia is doing it was like a bear that went to hibernation and then it came out and it was hungry and tried to devour Ukraine and it's coming down upon Israel and you can see them the alliances with the Islamic nations and mm-hmm. I think a huge amount of Russians are um, Islamic uh, mo- most people don't know that but it's it's a very high percentage um, so you can see it all coming to pass yeah without a shadow of a doubt so again when we know that this is what prophecy is going to say and I'm, this is a big question 35,000 foot question before we go back and look at some of the other countries that are named if this is prophecy that's going to be fulfilled do we sit back and just fold our hands and wait or is there an active or passive role we should be playing as this is unfolding you're asking me <laughs> yes. yes, and yeah, that's why you're on the program, you idiot. Um, yeah, actively passive. No, we we pray and we we reach out to the lost. We use this as a tool to reach the lost. As I said, it's just I find it absolutely wonderful to stop an atheist's mouth and just say, do you know that the Bible's full of Bible prophecy? It establishes the Scriptures as the Word of God, the Word of the Creator, because only God knows the future. So we should use it and be like the Apostle Paul and reason. Concerning yes. Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, yeah. because it's a legitimate bridge. And just because we can't agree on the shape and color of the bridge, we don't toss the bridge aside. We can use it to reach the lost. So that's my motive. And it should be the motive of every Christian. Can I go back to what you said about Acts 28? Because I think that's so important. You know, wherever Paul goes on his missionary journeys, he always goes to the Jews first, always to the Jews first. And then he goes to the Gentiles. So this methodology where it was the law of Moses and the prophets, if you break it down, the law of Moses, obviously, when he's talking to the Jews, they're going to resonate. They know the Tanakh. They know the Torah. They're going to understand this. But you made a brilliant point earlier talking about this intellectual approach by talking about prophecy. So there, there's the Gentiles. I mean, we talked about Athens, Epicureans, and Stoics. That was a group of intellectuals. So in a seeking world that's also a skeptical world, if they're not going to believe in all of the miracles and the, the supernatural, as it were, in so many of the parts of the Bible, you can appeal to them, like you said, by simply pointing out the fulfillment of prophecy, which I think is absolutely outstanding to be able to do that. But how do you break through, and this is I ask you as a brother in the Lord, I'm stunned, Ray, honestly. I mean, I knew that anti-Semitism was always out there, but when you see it showing up on college campuses, 
When you see people like they did on Thanksgiving, they blocked the entrance to Chicago's O'Hare. New Year's Day, these people said, say, free Palestine. And then quote, by the way, this genocidal chant that says, from the river to the sea, that's from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean. This goes to the PLO charter that calls for the Jews to be driven out of the Jewish state. It is a call for genocide. So they blocked the entrance to the airport going into JFK. And then just recently, they blocked the entrance to the Brooklyn Bridge, the Holland Tunnel, all kinds of people got arrested. I mean, this is spiritual warfare. So if you start out with a natural animus toward the Jews, how are you all how are you going to be drawn toward the attractiveness of God's perfect record on prophecy? You know, I'd like to get to these um, shallow thinking students and say, if you're really concerned about the starvation that's going on in the Gaza Strip, why don't you appeal to the Islamic rich oil nations to drop some food and clothing? They mm. wouldn't do it because they don't care like Christians care. Islam is different than Christianity. Christianity loves their neighbor, loves their enemy. Islam isn't like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It, it, well, it comes from a place, and I say this with compassion, but it comes from a place of ignorance, not understanding the history, not understanding uh, that the Jewish people don't have any other place to call their home other than Israel which happens to be a fulfillment of prophecy. The book is called Volatile. Let me say it again. You can only get it through living waters. It is riveting. It is so apropos for the days and times in which we live. It really helps you understand why going through life with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other makes a whole lot of sense, particularly as we're beginning to see prophecy fulfilled. Back after this. How do you keep your finger on the pulse of America while listening to the heartbeat of God's Word? On In the Market, we look for God's perspective on current events. Become a partial partner today and keep this Christ-centered program on the air. As a benefit, you'll receive exclusive resources every week prepared just for you. You'll get behind-the-scenes intel from my email to yours. Call 877-JANET58 or go online to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. So Ray Comfort has a brand new book. You can only get it through Living Waters, and it is called Volatile. It is an absolutely fascinating look at what's going on in the Middle East. But given the fact that we know Ray as a man who's unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and will get on his bicycle, put sunglasses on his dog, and tell anybody in his path about Jesus Christ, and in the process, by the way, teach us how to be bold and unashamed for the gospel as well. Ray recognizes that this conversation about prophecy is an intellectual peg. That's actually the word he uses in the book. And it's brilliant, by the way. If people are not into the supernatural and the miraculous, oftentimes prophecy can be a wonderful open door to start talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you take a chapter in this book and you talk about those other confusing prophecies. So you look at Luke, you look at Matthew, look at First and Second Timothy, and some of the things that are there. You touched on it earlier, famine, war, pestilence, earthquakes, etc. How do we respond? And this is an in-house conversation before I take it to the streets to share the good news. But in an in-house conversation, you will get people who will say, well, those things have happened before, so I don't see them as an indicator of what is to come. How do we respond? 
Yeah, I just say, ring a bell and say, you just fulfilled Bible prophecy. Because <laughs> the scripture says, you say that, last days shall come skeptics, walking after their own lusts, mm. the scriptures say. And I think that's very relevant, because people that are anti-God are anti-God for some reasons, because they love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. Yeah, and they're walking after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For these things have always been around. Scripture says, be not deceived with this one thing. A day to the Lord is a thousand years to us. And God is not slack concerning his promise, but he's patiently waiting, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the key is Jerusalem, as you were talking about. Israel became a state, 1948. They got the Jews, the Jews got Jerusalem back in 1967, fulfilling the words of Jesus. Mm. The Jews, the Jerusalem will be in uh, Gentile hands until the times of the Gentiles were fulfilled. Well, that, that fulfillment ended. It got fulfilled in 1967. The Jews have got Jerusalem. And that's what this whole argument is about. Muslims want Jerusalem for themselves. They don't want to divide it. They don't want to divide anything. They want everything because they believe they have the right God, the right prophet, and they've got the right way. But we know better. Wow. So let me go back to a question I asked you before. Again, I talked to you not just as a brother and a teacher, but as a Jew. Um, You live in California. Are you surprised at the rise of anti-Semitism? Like, totally, dude. That's California talk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. You think, what's going on here? Why is there this sudden hatred for Jews? You know, it's just, you think, it's got to be spiritual. I I like what you said before, and you pointed out to the Jew first. Why did Paul always go to the Jew first? Well, Romans 3 tells us, what advantage has the Jews? Much, every way because to them were committed the oracles of God. It's speaking of those commandments, the spoken word of God, those commandments that bring a knowledge of sin. So Israel had a great advantage on the day of Pentecost. Paul was speaking to devout Jews, Jews, devout Jews from every nation under heaven. That word devout means they they took hold on well. They understood what sin was. They understood the nature of God, the holiness of God, the wrath of God. So when Um, Peter stood up to preach on the day of Pentecost. He didn't preach wrath, judgment, the law. He didn't need to because these were Jews who understood the law. That's the advantage they had. And that's why Paul went to the Jew first because they had the law. And when he went to the Gentiles in Acts uh, 17, he opened up the law for them. He says, God's not graven by art and man's device. That's the first and the second Ten Commandments, which says, don't make a graven image. Mm. And he said, he's appointed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness. And so it's very important we understand that principle. If we go to a Jew that knows the law, and there's not that many that do know the law, they're caught up in their religious traditions. Mm -hmm. If we've got a Jew that's humble of heart like Nicodemus, you give them the gospel. But if they're not, they need the law to bring the knowledge of sin. And that's why Paul reasoned both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. And that's the key to biblical evangelism. It was the key that was used by Spurgeon, Wesley, Whitfield, Luther, others down, who down through the ages understood the principle that you never, ever give a cure without speaking of the disease. And you should never give the gospel without bringing the knowledge of sin, which Jesus did with a rich young ruler. He did with a sermon on the mount. And Nathan did it with David before he you know, said, God has put away your sin. He made David tremble. And that's what we need to do. Wow. You know, I'm so thrilled that you're taking this approach about prophecy because you've taught us over the years, Ray, that very often what you do, and I'll put it in my own verbiage, is you have them stand before the mirror 
of their own conscience. And you use the Ten Commandments as a way of doing that, by the way. And so that's crystal clear. And it's been so effective. And you've taught us how to do that. So talking about now using prophecy, I think, is very interesting. One of the things you do in Volatile, which I just love, is you share with us the dialogue of people that you've met on the beach, literally. And I love the fact that you've included some of their photographs and the back and forth that you've had with these people. So you talked to a fellow by the name of Tyler who was an atheist. Yep, you met him right there on Huntington Beach. And you asked him point blank. Interesting. He's a he's an atheist. He says he's never read the Bible. Um, and so asking him if he's never read the Bible, has he ever studied Bible prophecy was an interesting question. And his answer was, I looked up a few things just in class and stuff like that, but I never sat down and committed that much to it. You pressed in on Bible prophecy, even though he made the declaration that he was an atheist. For most of us, we would have gone, Okay, well, I have to figure a different route because he's been an atheist. He's not going to believe in Bible prophecy. He doesn't believe in the Bible, and he certainly doesn't believe in Jesus. But you pressed. Why? Because I don't believe in atheists. There's no such thing. <laughs> That's great. They're faking it. The whole the whole bunch of them are faking it from Dawkins right down to the students. They, they're pretending there's no God. They're just like Adam hiding behind a bush. It's 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 intellectual insanity to say that nothing created everything because that's what they default to. If you meet an atheist, you're not meeting an intellectual. You're meeting what the Bible calls a fool. Mm. And the father of science, Isaac Newton, said um, atheism is so senseless. He used that word. And he said it's odious and there's hardly any professors. Well, he was saying there weren't many atheists in his days, but we've got a stack that are being spun out of universities that are unthinking. I mean, flowers and birds and trees, the sun, the moon, the stars, puppies and kittens, all these things happen because of God's creative genius, not because of an explosion in space. It's crazy. I like to ask atheists, can you make me a frog? I say, what are you talking about? Can you make me a frog from nothing? Well, a croaking frog, one that breathes and hops around. No. <laughs> and you say, do you think the creator or the force that made everything is intelligent? They say, no. And that's a good question to ask an atheist. And <laughs> this is a great question to ask them. Do you think God created your brain or gave you a brain? And they'll say no. And you say, OK, you win. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You talk a lot about parachutes, too. In fact, in more than one dialogue in the book, you've yeah, referenced use of a parachute. Talk to me about that, because I think it's you, you basically say. And by the way, a lot of people might back off from this and say, oh, that's not right. The fear of the Lord is important. I bet you most people listening right now don't really understand what that means. Does that mean I go in a corner and I shake? Does it mean I respect him? What does it mean to have a fear of the Lord? And when you're trying to put the fear of the Lord, a fear of God in someone, what are you doing? Well, almost every time I witness to someone, right at the end, I say, I'm going to share one analogy before I let you go. I said, if you're going to jump out of a plane 10,000 feet, why would you put on a parachute? And they think for a minute and say, well, I don't want to die. So yeah, you don't want to hit the ground at 120 miles an hour on your face. And your motive for putting on a parachute is fear. And that fear is your friend. It's not your enemy. It's doing you a favor. I said, do you understand that? I said, oh, yeah. So because I love you, I've tried to put the fear of God in you today. I've tried to make your mouth go dry, make you scared, hoping you'll see that fear as your friend, not your enemy, because it'll make you serious with God. And if they say, yeah, I'm going to think about this, but they're passive, I say to them, look, if you and I were on the edge of a plane and you had your parachute on, but it was loose and you weren't serious about things and we had to jump any second, the best thing I could do for you if I love you is hang you out the plane for two seconds by your ankles. And when you come back in, you'll say, I get the message. Give me the parachute. I'm going to tighten it up. Mm. And what I've tried to do is I hang people out 
eternity by their ankles for four or five minutes. Let them feel the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. The scriptures say, through the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil, and they'll not depart from evil unless they're fearful. That's what Nathan did with David. Mm -hmm. He made David tremble. He didn't say, hey, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, this man had committed adultery and committed murder, and it was very, very serious, and God's wrath was abiding on him. And so Nathan was deadly serious, and he made David tremble. And to a point where he cried out of sin against God. Mm. And that's the that's what we need to do with sinners. Make them tremble like Paul made Felix tremble. Felix yeah. trembled. Why? Because Paul reasoned with him about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And trembling is good. Fear is good because it's the beginning of wisdom according to Scripture. Ray, I, I 1,000% concur with your approach. And one of the reasons I find it so exciting is because it is so utterly countercultural. There are people in post-modernity where we find ourselves right now who think, and I'm using a bumper sticker, overlaying it, because you don't do this specifically, but this is how they would interpret it, that you're putting, quote, the fear of God in them as the hellfire and damnation stuff that doesn't work anymore, that it's got to be all soft and lovely, and there is all of that, but what you do, and that's why when you put the dialogue between the people that you encounter in the book, you can see that it's always done with love. You never make it a Hobson's choice. I'm either going to give them truth or I'm going to give them love. You give them both an equal balance, but you love them enough to tell them the truth, which is you're going to be eternally separated from God without receiving what he's done for you. Um, I don't know why that message, even in the church, not just the culture, which is finding Christianity more and more repugnant, but in the church, I don't know why that approach of very directly saying here, this is what's going to happen. This is what God says. I love you enough for you to put that parachute on and to keep it tight. That's why I think you're a standout. I love talking to you. Let me take a break and come back. Let me tell you, friends, the book is called Volatile. It is so appropriate for the times in which we live because not only does it tell you what does the Bible say about the nations that are going to attack, not might, are going to attack Israel, but Ray, in his inimitable style, takes that and teaches us how to use prophecy, Acts 28, Paul, right? The law of Moses and the law of the prophets to be able to use that as an open door for evangelism. Brilliant, timely, appropriate. Back after this. We're talking with Ray Comfort, who's the founder and CEO of Living Waters and a wonderful author, co-host of The Way of the Master. The list goes on and on. Livingwaters.com. You need to know that. Why do you need to know that? Because that is the only place you're going to be able to get a copy of the book, Volatile. This is really written to help us understand what the Bible says as the fulfillment of prophecy regarding Israel and that there are five nations, Ray named them earlier in our conversation, that the Bible says will be attacking Israel, not might, will be attacking Israel. So you see all of this movement now, and as he said before, what's happened and what is unfolding. That is a perfect description of what we're seeing now. Um, did it? Uh, this is a rhetorical question because I know you know and love the word, but I think for a lot of believers— we have this very confused position with Iran. Netanyahu goes to the United Nations. He does that graphic that nobody forgot, draws a picture of like the Saturday morning cartoon of a bomb, says here's where Iran is on their nuclear capabilities. This is where they're going. We're never going to let them go there. We're going to stop them. Iran, Israel knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that the proxy behind all of this is Iran. You say so many things about Iran in the book that are interesting, not the least of which is that the word Aryan is a derivative of Iran. You drop that in the context of Nazism. Oh, boy, 
there's again another spiritual linkage. Give me some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, that blew me away when I read that because that was Hitler's big thing. He says, mm-hmm. even said Jesus was an Aryan. The, the Germans were the Aryan nation. They're, they're a pure blood and they hated the Jews. And it really shows how spiritual this whole thing is because Iran got its name from Aryan. That's where it originally comes from. And so that was a that was a great eye opener for me, and to, to realize how spiritual this whole thing is. Yeah, absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt. So again, I want people to get this. I want them to capture how you use prophecy. So in the book, again, you share dialogues with people that you've met in the street and teach us by reading the scripts of you talking to an individual on how prophecy uh, gets fulfilled and can be an open door for sharing the gospel. Are most people afraid of prophecy? Do you think? Non-believers? Not, re- not really, because they don't know much about it. I, I, I just, uh, this morning, I think, I did, yeah, this morning, I was in a local college, and I just said to a girl, do you, did you ever read the Bible? She said, no. I said, do you, know, do you know God knows the future? He knows everything that's going to happen, and he's put the future in his word 2,500 years ago. He told us that the nations, that he named the nations that would attack Israel. That gives the Bible credibility. And the Bible promises in the Old Testament that God would destroy death, and in the New Testament we're told how he did it. Does that interest you? And she said, yes. And that gives me a little platform for the gospel because it gives the Bible credibility to know that God's put the future in his word. So anyone can use it. And we've taken the cream really uh, the cream of uh, witnessing clips for this book, especially where I used, there's a wonderful, wonderful interview I did with a guy named Ruben. I don't know if I've mentioned to you, I was was in the local college and he comes up to me and he says, I've been wanting to meet you. And he has, turns out he's a Jew, a committed Jew, who's a math professor at this college I've been going to most days for 14 years. And he says, I'm afraid of my mortal soul. And he was trembling when he said that. I I said, do you want to come on camera? He said, yeah. And we talked about, he said, "Uh, I shouldn't even be talking to you. I says, I'm Jewish. He says, really? I says, yeah, my mum's full Jew. And that just softened him up. And you can see him on camera. And, mm. and he said, I'm scared. He, he says, I'm scared because he didn't know, even know how to pray. And uh, he said that uh, they, Jews didn't believe in hell. And uh, I reasoned with him and talked about the prodigal son. And it's just, you ended up praying with a guy. And it's just, have you ever, have you never seen that? His name's Ruben. Yeah. He's a Jewish guy, Jewish professor. It's on our YouTube channel. It's just wonderful. And you have a picture of him in the book. And yes. I just, uh, you know, again, you work it right to the idea of being separated by God from our sin. And this dear man does end up praying with you, which is fabulous. You also have a conversation with Sarah, who is Iranian. You started out by referencing Persia. She said, yes, I'm Persia. And you asked if she was afraid. And she said, that's the big debate right now. We don't know if any nuclear activity is going to be taking place. So here is this person who doesn't have a point of reference for the Bible, who knows the volatility of the country that uh, she knows full well. And yet, how do you negotiate a conversation with her? That was kind of scary because she was <laughs> she was violent with the words. You know, she says, you and I are at war. I says, no, we're not. We're just having a conversation. No, we're at war. And she was just ready to start because she's Iranian. And that's how they think, I guess. I don't know. I said, this is America. We can talk about these things without killing each other. We don't need to get passionate. This is, you know, people shed their blood uh, so that we'd have the freedom of speech. And we can talk about these things. So it was a very interesting interview. Yeah, wow. But again, um, I find it interesting that not everyone you talk to is going to necessarily say, I want to pray that prayer with you. I also find it interesting that for so many of these conversations, Ray, you asked if you could give them scientific facts in the Bible. Did you do that because by using prophecy and knowing you were appealing to the intellect that they would be open to a book like that? 
Yes, um, most people are open to it. It's a book I've written called Scientific Facts in the Bible, and it's it's another small little book that's been written, so you can give it to an unsafe person. And uh, people do do take it. They, oh, I'm interested in science and the Bible. That's interesting. So, uh, yeah, 90% of people take the book. Wow, that's absolutely fabulous. So I know this book is relatively new. Is it the kind of book, you just talked about your materials, one of the things that Living Waters does so well that I just love. Is it the kind of book that you could put in somebody's hand and have them read it, or is it for us to be equipped before we go out? No, it's to give out, and it's not relatively new. The ink is still wet on the cover. It just arrived (laughs) yesterday. It just arrived at the ministry yesterday, and it's going to be in stores, but we haven't got it uh, sent to our publisher yet. But and it's been we're a non-profit, and and the reason we exist as a ministry is to get literature into hands and equip Christians to share their faith. So this is for you to get in bulk and get them a dollar each when you buy a box full, and wow. give them out to your neighbours, toss them up your neighbours' driveways. Wow! And you know what? Israel's in the news right now. So again, this goes back. <laughs> I loved the way you reacted to it, but that's what happens when your ear is on the railroad track. So Ray is paying attention to what's happening in Israel, and Volatile gets created as a result of that. But he wrote it for you and me to get these materials in our hands so that we could then go out and contend for the faith. Okay? That's what this is all about. And it's it's a brilliant book, by the way. It's a reminder of the importance for us to study prophecy, to know it, to look forward to his glorious return, but also that God keeps his word to the everlasting, which means his promises of salvation are equally true. But if they're going to be fulfilled, that day is going to come when we will all bow our knee and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then the world gets divided into two camps, those who said yes and those who said no. What are you doing about that right now? Are your feet swift in service and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? I hope so. So you can go to livingwaters.com, livingwaters.com. I got to tell you what's amazing, Ray. You can get a digital version of the book Volatile and also in Hebrew and Arabic. How cool is that considering what's going on? So go to livingwaters.com slash volatile, livingwaters.com slash volatile, literally coming hot off the presses, but it's there for you to use. Ray, what a fabulous hour. Thank you so much for your heart, your passion, and your intellect. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, friends. We'll see you next time on In the Market with Janet Parshall.